Hey, take a listen to this. Here's the opening 38 seconds from the documentary Two Years with Franz. All right. It's 1.59, I see. Oh, hell, it's, it's night. No one's listening. I am so scared sometimes. I myself, being one of countless insane people in my country, where it is almost the norm to be insane. You cannot paraphrase a snowstorm. What rhymes with rhyme? I'm losing my mind. A great montage. It prompts a slew of questions. Who is this person? What's he talking about? Is he losing his mind? And what are these recordings? Of all the people in my life in the past two years, I sometimes feel closest to Franz Wright. He doesn't know who I am, though. He died in 2015. He's a poet, a Pulitzer Prize winner, and I encountered him through 546 audio tapes he made as he was dying. I got the headphones on and everything. I feel like a real recording artist. And I'm in the mood. He had cancer, and because of nerve damage, he couldn't always hold a pen. So he dictated his poetry onto a little Sony digital recorder his wife bought him, burning the front of it with the tip of his cigarette. We used to have little cameras of me all the time, uh, like a reality show for the poet, Franz Wright. It's not a tape recorder anymore, is it? There's no tape. What is it? Digital uh, battery? This isn't on, that's good. We sound stupid. Franz's recorder stayed on for hours. It picked up jazz music. Screaming at his cat. Thank you, asshole! Conversations with his wife. Night burial, Beth. Night burial, there's a name for a book. He kept the most lugubrious for last. There, I got your laugh on tape. And of course, there is always his poetry. The only animal that cries, that takes off its clothes and reports to the mirror, the one and only animal that brushes its own teeth somewhere, the only animal that smokes a cigarette, that lies down and flies backward in time, that rises and walks to a book, and looks up a word, heard the telephone ringing in the darkness downstairs and decided to answer no more. The narrator is Bianca Gaver. She's a filmmaker and writer. But I have a soft spot in my heart for radio. And did you catch what Bianca said about Franz? 546 audio tapes. What? I spent more hours with Franz in the past two years than I have with many of my friends. 546. For this episode of How Sound, I had to know from Bianca, how do you manage? How do you navigate? How do you even listen to that pile of tape? For a long time, I would say to, you know, my best friends, I'm doing this project, I'm listening to these poets' tapes who died, and they'd be like, oh yeah, sure, sure. But I don't think people really understood the intensity of what was in them. And it was a very emotional process 
to listen. Like I felt like I was becoming friends with this person, even though they weren't alive because the tapes were that intimate. From PRX and Transom, this is How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Two Years with Franz was produced by Bianca, along with Jay Allison, for Transom.org. But for quite a while, Bianca worked on her own before Jay got involved. The way Bianca came across the tapes was this. A friend of hers was a student of Franz Wright, and the friend told her Franz might make a good character for a documentary film, especially once you see the apartment where he lived with his wife, Beth. So the friend introduced Bianca. As I entered the apartment, I suppressed a gasp. There's stuff everywhere. It's like really good place if you're a cat. As a person, it's a little bit difficult to, to, to get around. First time I went into that place, I thought they'd been burgled. And the desk with the scraps and the apartment. I mean, he literally lived in language. All over the apartment walls, in shaky handwriting, Franz had written poetry. English has a second loneliness, said one wall. He wrote poetry on the fridge. On a coffee filter above the sink, it said, those dishes are going to be sorry when I finally get my hands on them. This is an email Franz wrote to his friend Don Cher. You know, he said, we live a simple life of silence here. He's talking about his life with Beth. Silence and sadness of gloominess. And would like to keep it that way if it's all the same to you. Is there a law that says you have to be happy now? There was evidence of happiness in the apartment. I read the love letters Beth wrote to Franz, scotch taped above the toilet. F, dear, I left earlier today. I hope you feel rested when you wake. I woke up feeling very lucky that we're here in this place and to be with you, love B. In watercolor, Franz responded, the luck is all mine. On the tour of the apartment, Beth mentioned the tapes. Audio files, actually. Beth had given Franz a digital tape recorder. I think this is like a radio producer's dream. I mean, this was radio gold in some sense. So Bianca made copies of the audio files. Now remember, hundreds of them. There was this great sense of hope and discovery that like any tape could contain a gold nugget. Um, And I knew that Franz, based on his poetry, was capable of delivering those gold nuggets. One night he just gets up in the middle of the night, turns it on for 30 seconds and says, the ghosts of the electrocuted cowering behind the toaster. Before she started listening, Bianca did some research on Franz. She interviewed friends and experts about his life and work. She says that helped give her a sense of what to listen for in the tape, but that's about all the prep work she did. For instance, she didn't create a spreadsheet to track her listening. No, I did nothing practical when I started listening, and I had no organization system, and I really regret that. And if you're listening now, please make a system of organization that's better than mine. I was like... Um, I guess so eager to listen and also so afraid that there would be nothing in them that I just started, started like skipping wildly through sort of like a child, like opening up Christmas presents. And I was like, is there anything here? Is there anything here? Skipping around? No, boring. Maybe a week later, it's less boring. And, um, so I had a Google doc where I would sometimes transcribe the tape as I was listening, sometimes I would just make notes, but then sometimes uh, 
I would get tired of looking at my Google Docs, so I would just start taking notes in a notebook instead, and I would forget to put those notes in the Google Doc. And sometimes I would change my mind and be like, the Google Doc is useless, I should actually just be pulling selects as I go. So if I was in a place where I could open Premiere, because at the time I thought it would be a film, and then when it became clear there was a radio story, then I had to move to Pro Tools. Did you rename the files? No, I never renamed the files. That would have taken a long time. They were all dated um, in the names. The problem is um, when you're going through this many tapes, it's hard to type the numbers correctly into your Google Doc. So there's some tapes that I still haven't been able to find again where I'll like read my notes uh, about them in the Google Doc, but I'll have mistyped the number, and you're off. If you're off by one number, it might be any month or any day. And within each day, there were multiple files. So it's it's all a disaster. <laughs> the more I talk about, it, the more I'm like, it's a miracle this piece was even made. So here she is, mired in all this tape, making typos, spending hours of her life in Brooklyn, listening and listening and listening. It was a very solitary experience. Eventually, Bianca took an even deeper dive into the tapes at an artist residency in Vermont. Like staying up till one in the morning listening and, listen, you know, my meals were being cooked for me, so listening before breakfast. Um, and so that'll make you crazy. <laughs> it was helpful to have other people at the residency to talk to in between. She says a lot of the tape was boring, meandering, uninteresting. And for a long time, Bianca worried if she had a story on her hands, because really, all it was was tape. It had no particular story shape. And then... And then an occasional 30 seconds or so that, that you can hear in the piece that took my breath away. That would keep her going. What's an example? What took your breath away? Um, him speaking directly to his wife, knowing that she would hear it after he had died. I remember now. If you should find my body dead when you come home, please let your own poor body have its say of tears, but keep in mind. My body is not me, and I am not dead. Your body weeping is not you, and there is no time here where I am. You will be here in a moment with me, hand in hand, I will know. The touch of your hand as we fly across the world, as we sleep, listening to the rain forever. Bianca was right. There was radio gold in the tape, but still no story. But then as she kept listening to Franz, she changed. Or I should say, the way she heard the tape changed. I couldn't say exactly when this happened, what hour of the tapes or what month of the first year. 
But I kind of thought Franz was speaking to me. Just between me and you. Which is strange, since you're not here. Whenever he said you like this, I'd freeze, turn and look at the computer. The next time you hit that high yellow note of pure fear, just hold it. Stay there. I don't know if it was my own narcissism or insanity, but I wanted him to be talking to me. Because you had better go inside yourself and find a place you like. I felt like Franz knew what I was doing. Oh, this will be difficult to listen to. I remember I was in Vermont and, you know, in my little white room listening. And, I th- and there was a quote that didn't end up making it in the piece. I'm kind of sad it didn't. And he just goes, have you read Mary Shelley? Oh, of course you have. Blah, 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 blah. And I had wondered if he was thinking about the person who had listened to these tapes perhaps the biographers, you know, beyond his wife. Um, And then on top of that, there was a little bit of delusion, which is where you spend so much time with someone you want them to be talking to you, or you feel that you're talking, um, or or you feel that they're talking to you. And those moments were like a little bit more spiritual. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to say that, but like, you know, or I would get goosebumps and maybe he wasn't saying you, but like something felt like I really needed to hear it. And I think really good poets do this where you feel like they're speaking directly to you and saying just the thing you need to hear when you need to hear it. And that's what great art does. Um, and I and I had that experience with the tapes sometimes. There's another point in the documentary where you say the following. I did love him. I really loved France. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, this is what I was talking about earlier about like... Um, those moments where he was speaking to me. And I think I think this happens to everyone a little bit when they're reporting on someone or doing a long-term documentary project where, like, in order to take that much time of your life to do a story, you need to fall in love with them a little bit. Um, or there's something about them that, that you love and that keeps you going. And I already loved his work, and I loved the stories I'd heard about him. I loved even his emails I had read and seen in the archive. And um, when I listened that many hours, I just grew like really attached to him. And uh, I just, I, I don't know, I was very charmed by him. I have a lot, even in his sort of uglier moments, you know, where I did hear him like, you know, scream at Beth and be like, where is this thing? You know, um, those were a little complicated, but I, I had developed like, like a relationship that was not unlike a real friendship. Um, and I, and I think I, I was able to love him cause I was able to understand him and see the darkness that he had come from and, and the light he had ended up in. Did you ever feel trapped? Do you ever feel like, oh, I can't stop listening now. I listened this much. I have to keep going. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like I always wanted it to really be a thing. But I felt like I had to make it a thing because I felt like I couldn't kill the story after having spent that much time on it, you know. Um, And I never wanted to kill the story. It was just a lot of fear that 
that I wouldn't be able to make something good. Um, and like also just feeling like I was the custodian of these tapes. And so it was my responsibility to make something beautiful out of them. Or how do I get other people to see the beauty in them that I see? To help people see that beauty, Bianca eventually reached out to Jay Allison, the co-producer of the story. And for full disclosure, Jay's my boss at Transom. She sent Jay a script and selects, some 65 to 70 pages of script, she says. And then it was all about organizing and refining, organizing and refining. Creating draft after draft after draft and like sifting, sifting, sifting. Throughout the process, Bianca would play tape for Jay. Like, I was constantly worried that, like, there was some gem I had forgotten. And so I was, like, anxiously throughout those final weeks, like, going back through and looking for little nuggets that that maybe I'd forgotten. And so there were a few times where I just played him a bunch of stuff that I had pulled out. And I was like, can we use this? Can we use this? Can we use this? Sometimes he would say, like, oh, was there anything where he was talking to Beth? Or was there anything? Do we have any more of him screaming or yelling? Um, or whispering, and I would just sort of think back in my memory and, like, look back through the Google Docs and be like, oh, I think so, or or no, I didn't come across that. Bianca says the work, which had taken her more than a year at this point, moved quickly once Jay was involved. She's grateful for that because she could have simmered in it forever, she says. When you stopped, was there a hole in your life? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm... Right now that the piece is done, I'm definitely in that phase, that floaty phase of like, all right, like, am I ready to love again? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, um, like, you know, at the same time, I have the confidence from having completed that piece to know that I could find my way out of darkness again and complete another big piece. I came across this tape, one of the last from him, another prayer spoken in the middle of the night. Thank you for this strange, darkly glamorous life in which I was allowed every day to anguish over this strange art. To anguish over this strange art. And to experience Something that I can only compare to the sensation of being in love. Something I can only compare to the sensation of being in love. I mean it. Think about it. Two Years with Franz by Bianca Gaver and Jay Allison at Atlantic Public Media. You can listen to the entire hour-long documentary at transom.org or subscribe to the Transom podcast for lots more listening. Along with Two Years with Franz, Bianca has a short film at Transom and there's her article, Notes from a Pitching Novice which, despite labeling herself a novice, is full of pro tips on pitching stories. Find them both at transom.org. Two Years with Franz is up at PRX. And if, by chance, you're listening and you work at a public radio station, consider picking up the show, especially for National Poetry Month in April. It's a Transom radio special. Speaking of PRX, have you visited the PRX Exchange lately? It's an online marketplace for audio stories, but it's also a stunning archive of all kinds of radio stories. 
features, documentaries, sound art, full-on radio programs. For instance, Best of the Best from the Third Coast Festival is up at PRX. It's Third Coast's annual two-hour radio program featuring stories that won awards in Third Coast's yearly competition. I always listen. Thanks to John Barth, my editor. John likes to print out my scripts, scrunch them into a ball, and toss them into the trash. He says it's much more satisfying than just hitting delete. And thanks to WCAI in Woods Hole, the radio center of the universe. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening.